And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Uh, you are now tuned into anything potable. The most honorable. The most audible. Hold the applause. Like Paul Pierce when he was fresh out the hospital. Like Antoine when he shimmied after shots went through. So Welcome to... Boston Celtics podcast here on the Athletic Podcast Network. I'm your host, Sam Jam Packard, professional sports fan, and I'm joined by El Nino himself, the number one enemy of the city of Denver and the state of Colorado, the kid, the god, the legend, Celtics beat reporter from The Athletic, Jay King. Ladies and gentlemen, the clock has just struck midnight. We are here after game five. The Celtics beat the Heat 110 to 97. And that was uh, only that close because the bus one boys came in and messed everything up. But the Celtics started this game just basically dominating the first quarter. They jumped out to a quick 15-point lead. I think the score was 20-5. to And they just never really looked back. Every single time the Heat kind of felt like they were going to go on a run, the Celtics answered and kept the lead pretty much above 15 for the rest of the game. Jay... What do you think was the, the biggest key for the Celtics' victory tonight? I thought their defense keyed everything. It was, I mean, first play of the game, Bam goes into his move. And early in the series, they were providing no help. They were letting Bam go one-on-one. They were letting Jimmy go one-on-one with very little help. Marcus Smart comes over and is super aggressive with his help, knocks it away, dives on the floor, gets him going the other way. And I just thought, like, Obviously, the Celtics made a ton of threes early, but it was because of that defense. It was because they were forcing turnovers. It was because they were intense, and and that gave their offense life. I, I thought just the defensive purpose and intensity really throughout the game, but especially early, was awesome. They were able to limit Miami's three-point attempts, something crazy. I don't know how many they ended up with, but it was like 13 or 14 Pretty deep into the fourth quarter. 23 total, which is wildly low. It was only 20. It was 23. Yeah. So, and some of those were late. Like, a lot of those came in the fourth quarter and kind of the garbage time, which is, I guess we'll get to that. But Bam and Jimmy just not playing at all in the fourth quarter as a kind of wild move. But talking, getting back to the, the first quarter, the forcing the six turnovers and scoring 10 points off the turnovers, I thought was huge for the Celtics. Three of them coming from Bam, two of them coming from Kyle Lowry. Kyle Lowry's been bad this entire series. I take great pleasure in saying that. Um, but I think Gabe Vincent being out. I love Kyle Lowry. I, I love the Nuggets, too, for you people from <laughs> I respect Kyle Lowry, but I hate what anytime the Celtics play Kyle Lowry. And I just think he's been bad um, in this series. But he had some bad turnovers. And just the, the, the points they could get off that and then just the offense they got, just multiple possessions where they just felt like they were moving the ball with purpose, um, either in the half court, but then just getting good threes in transition. Derek White was amazing tonight. Um, 
just very aggressive shooting the ball finished with what was he six of eight from deep um, he and marcus smart were both huge 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 yeah and it, interestingly after the game and both, they almost connected on an insane alley-oop and by almost connected <laughs> i mean marcus smart threw an alley-oop that Robert Williams could not have caught with a ladder. No, it slammed off the backboard with extreme force. Also up by uh, 24, Jason Tatum threw one of the most audacious behind-the-back passes that I've ever seen in my life. One of the most insane pass attempts this world has ever seen. He just launched a behind-the-back pass to nobody. Uh, Like, it was 20 feet away from Jalen Brown, would you say? Oh, yeah. And just launched out of bounds. But if you're up by 24 in the fourth quarter, you're kind of... And the Heat went on a run Immediate 6-0 run. And I know know at that moment you were scared. Yes, because especially because I tweeted about how much I loved the Jason Tatum pass. I don't think I was fully scared, but I was definitely like, oh, this could come back to bite me. Um, But getting back to, I think, I thought it was interesting, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum kind of unprompted went out of their way in their press conferences to note how well Marcus Smart played tonight on the... um, defense just on both ends of the court uh but five steals tonight like they just were swarming everything on defense i do think like again the heat being kind of short staffed just didn't have as many shooters to um spread the floor with and so but the celtics definitely did a great job of just creating turnovers getting hands in passing lanes showing kind of multiple guys at bam at jimmy Jimmy Butler didn't really do much in this game um, other than guarantee they're going to win game six in the post-game press conference. But he was off tonight, only 14 points. Bam kind of got it going there in the second half, but he was like, I think, three of 10 for the, in the first half. They just were um, super solid on everything they were doing uh, defensively, and I thought it just led to – it bled into their offense. Yeah. Yeah, I, I just thought the purpose they played with in – and everyone's going to point to, oh, they got hot from shooting, like this and that. Yes, they did. Do you know why? It's not just luck when shots go in. It's not just bad or good shot luck. It's, oh, Jason Tatum is reading the defense. He's being really patient and drawing two and finding somebody else. It's Jalen Brown isn't just launching himself into the middle with no plan in sight. He's drawing two, kicking it out moving the ball they're they're moving it from side to side taking advantage of the heat help the quality of looks they've gotten the last two games and their number of looks they've gotten they had 25 three-point attempts in the first half after i think 25 point three-point attempts in the first half of game four as well the quality looks that they're getting are just totally different and the rhythm that they're playing with i think the more they've played this heat defense which has to overextend itself and help all the time and because of they do have some weak links, uh, one of whom Kevin Love might soon be out of the rotation or, or he's the backup be, center. He's got to be replaced by Haywood High. The backup center point. instead of the starting power forward. The uh, it, they're attacking that defense so much differently than they did over the first three games, and and so much smarter than they did over the first three games. That being said. They did hit some lucky ones. <laughs> they that being said, some of Derek White's were very tough. Some of Derek White's were very tough. I also think to start – And the, Marcus Smart won't go – was he five for seven? Four for four, six four, every four six. But I actually thought the stretch at the start of the second quarter um, where Jason Tatum went to the bench, Jalen Brown is kind of the, the main guy there. 
they've I for, forget what podcast said this, but I was listening to it. They've been pretty awful with the Jason Tatum on the bench lineups um, in terms of the net rating. I thought Jalen Brown, like they had a couple possessions there in a row where I thought they were just bad offensive possessions, but then Jalen Brown hit some threes. Um, I thought Derek, some of Derek White's threes also came off some bad possessions. I don't think they really handled the zone that well tonight. They just uh, were kind of able to shoot over it. Like they didn't go back to that Jason Tatum kind of at the free throw line extended. I actually thought the Heat did a better job of kind of denying those entry passes because they knew that could break down the zone. But I thought it was an important kind of bounce back game for Jalen Brown and that eight point run there to start the second quarter when it was kind of a chance for the the Heat to get back in the game. It's kind of the matchup they've won in this series, especially with Tatum on the bench. Um, I just thought it was important for Jalen to get his shot going. Um, I thought that just helped him later in the game. He had a number of good finishes, just kind of going up strong, doing the kind of holding onto the ball for as long as he can and getting up there. But like I thought. Um, it was just a good sign for them to kind of keep that lead extended at 15 uh, when they kind of faltered in the past when Tatum's gone to the bench. Yeah. And that was huge. And and Brown's biggest number in each of the last two games, one, one turnover in game four, one turnover in game five. And you can just tell that he's growing more comfortable with the way the heat are defending them. He's not forcing it as much. And he hit a couple of really tough layups today. The one over Bam early in the first half was crazy. And I think it was, it might have been somebody else, but it might have been Bam again. He had another really tough layup in the second half where he was looking for a foul. But, but to me, it, it's, it's not about the scoring for him in this series. It's can you draw the help and recognize it? recognize where it's coming from, find the right guys to just keep the offense moving. It's not going to be because of how much help the Heat are sending toward him and Tatum. I don't think it's going to be a huge scoring series for him. And and I think he's recognized that and he's not worried about it at this time. So so that's big. And then the uh, obviously the backcourt was just special. White and Smart were just awesome. But I thought Tatum just controlled everything like that. That's probably the best 21 point game he's ever had. I just thought no matter what the Heat did, he recognized it. He was patient about going toward what he wanted, what the team wanted. And he had 11 assists. And even in the first quarter, like he only had, I think it was one or two assists. But every single time he made the right play, and he had 12 points in that quarter, but it was like just time after time, I was like, oh, they're they're guarding him one way, he beats it. They're guarding him another way, he beats it. They're guarding him a third way. Like, they tried everything. That's what they're going to do. And you have to be able to dissect things on the fly. And I just thought he did a great, great job of that throughout the game, except when he threw that. (laughs) <laughs> bonkers pass what on earth was he doing with you're that up pass? by 24 you're trying to put the like closing uh on the heat like just finish the game with an absolute ridiculous behind the back pass transition i'm for it but i agree just like it felt like he was making anytime they sent two at him it felt like he made the correct pass and um the Celtics did a good job of just um Either that first guy, that first pass, that guy just knocking down a shot, or making some passes and keeping the heat in rotation. I thought in the fourth quarter, when uh, the Celtics came out to start the fourth quarter and just missed, I think their first like 
four or five shots just to start there. And I thought Tatum, they kind of were single covering him. And the Celtics just did a good job, especially Tatum, of kind of putting their head down, using their physicality and getting to the line. And so um, I just thought there was just every time the Heat felt like they were kind of going to go on a run, the Celtics matched them. I thought another big stretch was towards the end of the second quarter. The Heat cut it to 12. Um, that was one of those kind of like uh, white threes over the zone. But then Marcus Smart came up with, um, I think, a big steal. And then he hit a three. And it, like, it all of a sudden went from 12 to 20 very quickly. And it just felt like the Celtics had an answer. That, and it started on the defensive end every time where they just – there was no – I guess for maybe a bit of the third quarter, it felt like the Heat kind of – figure something out offensively with getting bam some open shots in the mid range. But the other than that kind of like four minute stretch, it felt there was no point where the heat felt like they were comfortable on the offensive end. It, it's funny because I thought the Celtics defense was great. And it, it certainly doesn't show in the final score. I thought the heat had a great shooting night considering the defense like Duncan Robinson, two for three, Haywood Highsmith, three for four, Caleb Martin, just, doesn't seem to Caleb miss. Martin's best player in basketball. Like, what's going on with Caleb Martin? Like, the guy's amazing. Caleb Martin is fantastic. So I, I felt like, given the quality of shots they had, they actually had a a pretty good shooting game. Duncan Robinson continues to beat the Celtics to the rim. They're so like like he comes off a, a DHO against Bam, and they're like so focused on running him off the three point line that they basically give him open. We had two wide open layups tonight just because like in the half court offense, which is pretty wild. He's been pretty solid. And I actually think him picking up his um, third foul in the second quarter was actually like a pretty big momentum swing because he was doing he was actually pretty effective there. um, And then they had to bring him out of the game. And that's when the Celtics went on the run. I was talking about earlier. Um, The thing that's tough for Miami right now, and it's going to be very interesting to see the status of Gabe Vincent because they just don't have that many guys. They brought in Haywood Highsmith, classic Miami Heat culture fashion. Like, he was very good tonight and played well. And he's going to be a key piece for them, assuming Gabe Vincent doesn't play in game six. Probably even even if he does, he's going to be a big piece for them. And so I do think it's like Miami – Highsmith's going to be a big piece for them. Like, Vincent, if he comes back playing on a – Sore ankle is going to be a big piece for them, but I do think like you could feel it tonight with just their lack of depth. Um, I mean, if Jimmy and Bam are not going to have it going, they're like Caleb Martin can do a lot of things, but he can't do everything. And so um, I do think that Vincent injury is going to be a huge heading into game. Caleb Martin might be able to do everything. (laughs) I mean, if they just, I don't see why they don't start him at this point. I would start him over Kyle Lowry. I mean, they're go or you over Max Struess. I was actually impressed by the heat in this game. Because the Celtics like hit him with just absolute haymaker and kind of never let up. Like it was after there the was first... no let up, and the Heat were kind of just hanging around for the longest time. And eventually, the Celtics extended it to, to twenty four. <laughs> but for the longest time, it was like those dudes aren't going away. Those dudes are staying committed to what they want to do, no matter what. So I, I was actually. Pretty impressed by the resilience they showed of just never really going quietly. Yeah, I mean, after the Celtics jumped up that quick 15-point lead, it was pretty much an even game just hovering around that number. The Heat were never able to go on a, like a, a huge run themselves, but they never 
kind of let the Celtics off the hook. And um, despite the like, – at no point was, like, I really comfortable with the Celtics' lead until Jason Tatum threw that pass. Then I knew that uh, he had the confidence to start fucking around. Sorry, Grandy. Um, <laughs> the uh, that was the worst pass ever. I, I, cannot, so I cool. cannot get over that pass. We have to talk about the injuries on the other side of the ball. Uh, Malcolm Brogdon, uh, wouldn't that be the same side of the ball? I was trying to figure out a way to say the other team. They play both sides of the ball, two way game <laughs> basketball, both offense and defense. It can switch very quickly, but. He played only eight minutes. Eight minutes tonight. It was uh, upgraded to doubtful. We did get, uh, I think it was a, a minute and, and five seconds of Peyton Pritchard, uh, who immediately turned the ball over. Um, did not take advantage of his. Uh, he also took a wild shot late in the game when the Celtics were trying to run clock, and he just took the first three of the bucket. And then the Heat cut it to 10 right after that. And then Sam Hauser hit a ridiculously deep like, three. Maybe Pritchard should have taken that one. I don't know. But Malcolm Brogdon dealing with an injury clearly was um, smoking bunnies galore in the previous games. I don't know how much of that is injury related because he did a lot of that in the regular season. But he's not been as effective. Not been uh, somewhat like consistently knocking down threes. But yeah, our guy Jared Weiss reported what he's dealing with, which is a tendon injury in his around his right elbow. That would be a shooting elbow. I feel like that would probably be bothersome. Uh, Joe Mazzula, at least in the Sixers series, felt very comfortable playing only seven guys. And so it feels like with the emergence of Grant Williams getting serious minutes in the series, it's maybe not the biggest deal to lose Malcolm Brogdon. But it does hurt the Celtics' depth. And if they want to go to another guy... I don't know if Peyton Pritchard's necessarily the answer. It just gives someone, especially when Jimmy Butler's in the game, it just gives someone they can immediately pick on in the post. A lot of people on Twitter cl- clamoring for some Sam Hauser minutes. But I wouldn't I be think, surprised. I think Sam Hauser is an easier target for Jimmy Butler than Peyton Pritchard. That might sound crazy, but I think sounds a little crazy. Pritchard's physical enough where he'll at least force Jimmy to shoot over him. But Hauser struggles the most with guys who are really physical, and I just. I would not want that matchup if I were the Celtics. So I understand why people want it, but I also think, as weird as it sounds, Pritchard is actually at least as good a matchup as Hauser and probably a little better. I think Hauser is a more reliable shooter at this point, and so I think you might want him on the court just as like a guy in the corner or a guy who can just provide you spacing where um, I think there's more value there. But I just think the answer is you just play seven guys. Like yeah. it don't mess around. You have you have uh, Derek White, Marcus Smart, and then like Jalen Brown's basically a shooting guard. Like you have enough guards at this point where I think you can just survive that. Um, and so I think that's kind of just the obvious solution. Maybe you'll get to try to steal some minutes here or there. Maybe you get a, a wild uh, Blake Griffin stretch or maybe a moose. But uh, I just don't think it's like necessarily you need someone to step in and fill those eight minutes of Brogdon uh, necessarily. We've gotten this far without mentioning Al Horford, who I thought was great. On it the was, offensive glass. It was physical Al. It was bully ball Al tonight. And five offensive rebounds. I would guess that's his most of the entire season. I'm going to look that up right now, actually. And some of those were just like 
beat the guy in front of you, be stronger, be more physical, and go get it. I thought he had just just a number of, of key offensive rebounds that did tie his season high. He also had five against the Knicks. In, that was an overtime. He game. played 46 minutes in that game. It was an overtime game. 46 minutes for old Al. Was that when Grant was got the DNP? Uh, maybe. Or was that where Grant played? No, Grant played all. That was the game after Grant's DNP where he played like something ridiculous and all of overtime as well. But I thought the Celtics on the offensive glass were huge. They had 17 second chance points. They on, just capitalized on like all their offensive rebounds. If they felt like they only had two more than the Heat, but they were just able to really cash in on those. And I thought that that was a huge part of why their offense just kept going. And and never really let the heat back in the game. I thought Al, he also had that that really strong finish when he posted up. I think it was Lowry went baseline. You got to be careful with Lowry because obviously he's like one of the greatest charge takers of, of this generation. And, Not tonight though. And he spun baseline on him. And Matt Reynolds had him done. had him immediately sussed out. He tried to take a charge in the fourth quarter. The bench was like challenge it immediately. I've never seen a quicker challenge, uh, I think, from the Celtics team, and um, ended up not really being that big a deal. But uh, it's just a, uh, I guess we got to talk about uh, Joe Mazzulla being a timeout master now. Just uh, the quick timeout. <laughs> he was quick to the quick timeout. to the timeout. He's he talking about adjustments uh, very early on, just like taking taking extra timeouts with thirty seconds left in a quarter, just because uh, just because he can. You know what? Maybe maybe he had some criticism early in the series, but you can't say he hasn't adjusted. He 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 was calling them things early. They had a I think it was a two zero run, and he was like, "Yup, give me that." And then uh, shortly after Marcus Smart's insane alley oop, and shortly after Tatum's insane, you know what's <laughs> Those funny? Passes were just nuts. Marcus Smart's insane alley oop was his second ridiculous lob attempt of the night. In the first half, he had another he ridiculous one. super one. short to Robert Williams. Yeah, and it led to a dunk he on the He turned into Terry Rozier. <laughs> Marcus Smart turned into Terry Rozier all of a sudden. Same for those two moments. He had a, a, an amazing game. Um, hey, look, let's hope for the Celtics' sake that he does not become Terry Rozier in Game 7 of the Eastern Conference Finals. Then, that wasn't great. No, he missed a lot of threes that game. Um, I don't know what else to, to really take away from this game. Uh, it's just been very interesting and somewhat frustrating for as a Celtics fan to be like, oh, so where was this in games one and two? Like game three, I understand, was a complete uh, F up. They goofed up bad. Uh, they goofed their pants there. But they clearly have come out with a different level of intensity. And at this point, I have no idea what's going to happen in game six. Jimmy Butler, in his post-game press conference, guaranteed that they would win game six. Someone on Twitter said he also guaranteed that they would win game five. So maybe his word is not uh, the greatest. But the Celtics just keep on making things harder for themselves. Jason Tatum was actually after the game. He's like asked why. Why they keep doing this? And he's just like, man, I don't know. I have no idea. I wish I knew the answer. Uh, Marcus Smart said the Heat snuck up on him. 
Like, bro. He had an amazing quote about that, too. Uh, uh, Soichi tweeted it out, but it was just like the, the most. Oh, what did he say? Great podcasting right here. Yeah, uh, come on. Come that's on. the thing about sneaking up on somebody. They're not supposed to know you're coming. <laughs> Marcus Smart on sneaking. Uh, I mean, this is a good point. It's a good point. Uh, I guess we'll transition the junk portion of the evening. Uh, Tito Horford has just been giving Jason Tatum some pep talks before the game. Uh, he did it before game seven uh, against uh, the Sixers. And I just like the power of Tito Horford just giving it. And he refuses to say what it is. He says it's a secret. But that's pretty badass. Stephen A. Smith tweeted, Derek White, parentheses, who has a totally normal hairline, and parentheses, looking great early. That's a funny bit. Um, Jalen Brown's wearing some of the biggest pants I've ever seen. Seth. Those were big pants. They were huge. Big pants, big jacket, big outfit. Big pants. Talking about big, did you see the big bowl of clementines in the media room before the game? I did not see the clementines. Huge. I love clementines. I would have had a clementine. I had four. four two. I, I had four clementines today. Clementines are delicious. So much better than oranges. Oh yeah, clementines the ultimate citrus snack. Uh, big, big bowl of clementines. People were trying to tell me it wasn't big. It was absolutely huge. Um, interesting moment before the game. Joe Mazzula was asked about what he's been doing in the past 72 hours. And he just, he, the ultimate message was very like nice and positive and like, it was very honorable for what he's doing, but he just delivered it in the most kind of insane way possible by just saying, what have you been doing in the last 48 hours? I spent time with uh, three girls under the age of 21 who happened to have cancer and then like talked about that. It was just ridiculous. And then his actual quote was like, uh, just spending times with girls who are dying. That's what it's all about. And it's just, then it got tweet quote tweeted. It, it just, uh, it was a, it was a really nice message. He said that he thought he would be helping them and they helped him. I, I thought that was a really nice message. It was. It was just startling uh, when he first started saying that. Um, McLovin was here. What are your thoughts? Bailey Zappi was here. They dapped each other up mid game. too. I didn't know who Bailey Zappi was. I had no idea. I got it. Al Horford just went over and dapped up. QB2. From that, we got a picture of Paul Pierce, Kendrick Perkins, and Gabe Pruitt hanging out with McLovin. Which is just a beautiful image. That was iconic photo. <laughs> it's iconic. McLovin's a huge Celtics fan. He has al- always been a huge Celtics fan. Yeah. I wonder if he listens to the podcast. If you listen to the podcast... McLovin, Chris, come on the podcast. No, Chris, Chris. Yeah, we probably shouldn't call him Chris, McLovin. if you listen to the podcast, we would love to have you as a guest. I also loved just, you in the movie just, Role Models. Just DM me. Have my, you seen my, the movie Role my Models? My DMs are open. Have I seen the movie Role Models? I was Role Models for Halloween one time. Which one? I was... Did you go as, like, the Kiss version of them? Or, like, you were just... Uh, no, I was just a regular... You were just Paul and, and we, we, were, <laughs> we were going around. It was me and my buddy. And we were going around just slamming each other with the sword all, <laughs> all night and pretending that our limbs were going away. And uh, it was a great bit. It was a, But I talked to Chris on DMs one time. And I told him that I went as him... In role models, which was probably the best moment of my life. 
I'm not going to lie. Did he I respond? For, I forget that? how we ended up talking on DMs. But you just slid into Christopher Mince Plus's DMs to tell him you dressed up as him. No, <laughs> I, I, I have no idea how we started talking on DMs. This was many years ago. Uh, I, I would have guessed that he had to slide into my DMs first. Check the tape. Check those DMs. Let, let me check. Let me check. Um, while so you're, it, it was truly one of one of the greatest moments of my life. I was like, wow. He's talking to me. <laughs> uh, while you were looking that up, do you think the NBA referees have developed a policy where they're just going to, they like just blow a late whistle? They just wait to see the end of the play before they decide to blow the whistle. Am I crazy in thinking that's been like a recent trend? It's not in my Twitter anymore. So I don't, I don't know. Elon it, Musk ruins everything. But I promise. <laughs> I, I spoke to him on DMs one time, and it was just magical. <laughs> I'm, I'm supremely <laughs> jealous right now. Speaking of, and I think we'll we'll wrap it up here, Jay King being on Twitter. He made an enemy of the entire city of Denver today uh, for no no real good reason. It was... It was uh, so here, here's the thing. We got to tell the full story. I didn't mean... To start a fight with anyone. <laughs> and all, my first tweet, I thought it was totally innocent. And, of course, the whole thing started because Chris Mannix said, like, the, the Nuggets, nuggets are not compelling. He was asked why nobody talked about the Nuggets and just gave the reasons, which it's like every everyone else was dysfunctional. People talk about the dysfunction. The Nuggets were just kind of cruising along. 50-something wins. It wasn't particularly interesting, even though they were playing great basketball, which is pretty true. Like. What do you, are you just going to talk all the time about, oh, the Nuggets are really good? Like, Well, you could write a story about KCP's championship leadership. That was, that was wild. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so <laughs> somebody wrote, like, went on Twitter and wrote suggestions of what Ten people could write about for the Nuggets. The Nuggets yeah. And one of them was Contavious Caldwell Pope's championship leadership. And the other was okay. DeAndre Jordan being hilarious. Super funny guy. Uh, but my first tweet was basically like the Nuggets historically haven't done that was haven't the thing had a lot of success as a franchise. You said they were not historically relevant, and people I didn't got even say pissed. they weren't historically. I said they they historically did not have much success as a franchise, which is true. This is their first time in an NBA Finals. I said this core hasn't had a ton of success. They had reached one conference finals before, and. Like, that's just how it goes in the NBA. Nobody talks about you until you make them. And obviously, Jokic should be talked about all the time. He's a two-time MVP. He's fantastic. He's my favorite player to watch and has been forever. Uh, he's up there with Steph for me of, like, my favorite players to watch of this entire generation. But all I was saying was, like, they don't talk about you until either you're on a historic franchise. They talk about those teams all the time. I'll throw the Knicks in there because – they have just the media spotlight of everywhere on them, no matter what. But it's like the Lakers are special because they've won everything in the past, and they have a huge fan base because of it. The Celtics are special because they've won everything in the past, and they have a huge fan base because of it. The Bulls are special for the same reason. It's like, and so people talk about the historically great teams. The Nuggets aren't historically great. They're historically nothing compared to most teams. And yes, some some guy. You're a child, bro. You're 12 years old right now with these takes. 
What was that all about? What was that all about? Why was a guy coming at my neck asking, are you tough? What are you, 12 years old? Like, what are you, 95,000 years old? (laughs) But to be fair. I'm sorry. I didn't mean that. I don't even know if that guy's old. Uh, But you didn't help your cause when being accused of being childish by spending the next I, what was it, four to six hours constantly quote tweeting people coming at you uh, on Twitter and repeatedly saying, I don't know why I got myself into this. Why do I do this? This is, uh, this is well, stupid. I, I and then you just keep going. I wasn't going to get into every time something. I, every, and then, you got into something? Then all, every hour. all of Denver was being ridiculous to me. <laughs> like, that dude was saying, like, I'm childish, I'm this and that. It's like. You're the one coming at me, making it personal. All I said was, it's okay that nobody talks about the Nuggets. Nobody talked about Stephen Curry and the Warriors either until they made everyone talk about them by winning a title. And now nobody will stop talking about them. It's all anyone talks about. They are ratings gods. And you know what? The Nuggets probably will be too. And, And once that happens... All of Denver will be mad because expectations will be huge. And all of a sudden, people will be looking for flaws in Nikola Jokic, even though they kind of were already, which they shouldn't have been because he's awesome. But they'll be looking for flaws in that team. They'll be looking for every shortcoming. And when that happens, Denver, just know sometimes it's nice to be ignored. And I don't even ignore you. I talked about them hours before this beef on our podcast, and I was glowing because they're awesome and i love the nuggets i love watching them play they're the most connected team right now that there is but but you hate denver and you're disrespectful no i love denver too that's why it was so stupid denver hates denver you know who doesn't show up to nuggets games the people of denver you know who doesn't talk about the nuggets up until now the people of denver that is a bronco city they're mad at everyone else for not caring about the nuggets they don't even televise the games in denver that's because they don't have a big fan base because they haven't been what, Jay? Historically successful. That's why people... But every single time the Celtics have played in Denver, every time there's like, oh, well, a lot of Celtics fans in the arena here. Because, like, Celtics have... A, a, I'm not going to say a larger presence in Denver than the Nuggets fans do, but, like, I think there's a certainly a point. It's like if you're a reporter and you're going to be talking about things on the national level... It makes sense to talk about things uh, where the majority of the people care. And that's why ESPN and all of like talks about the Lakers so much. Because the Lakers have a giant fan base. Um, and but, it's like, the, I will say it sucks about the media. And I'm part of the media too. But it does suck about national media. And it sucks that nobody has figured out a way to just talk about the game itself and the beauty of the game. That's why I feel like the Manic Suite or thing was and, ridiculous because there I, are things that are very compelling about the Denver Nuggets. Not KCP's championship uh, pedigree, but like there are ways in which you can talk about the Nuggets and like highlight the things that are very cool about uh, what they're doing. Like I wish there wasn't so catered and, towards but, the national. But like, nobody national. just ignores the Nuggets. People talk about the Nuggets. They talk about Jokic a lot. It's just the Lakers are in a different class. So yes. Yes, sometimes people are going to talk about the Lakers. It's that's just how it goes. That's that's forever how it goes, and and that that part of it does suck. And to some extent, like I understand that, and I understand Denver being upset about that. And but here's the problem, Jay: is you stepped but, but in. If you, 
if you, you didn't look, have to. If you look at ratings, you, you gave an F when it wasn't your turn, and that was the, the biggest issue. Before this, hold on, hold on, <laughs> hold on. I got more to say. Everyone, everyone telling me that the NFL does this right, and the NFL is able to market anybody in the sport because they just care about the sport. The NFL has you care about. Five percent of the league. They make you care about quarterbacks. They make you care about wide receivers. They make you care about running backs. That's it. You don't you don't know shit about some of the best players in the league because they play on the line, because they play defensive line, because they're not as marketable. And you know what? Until now, Denver wasn't as marketable either. And some of that was that Nikola Jokic doesn't really do interviews. He's not going to do interviews. Yeah, he actively avoids interviews. Your, your best player, your MVP, uh, doesn't which want is cool, any media attention. Which is cool, but like, if you are doing that and not doing interviews, don't get mad when nobody pays attention. And people do pay attention. A lot of people pay attention to Nikola Jokic. And I understand. But also, another part of this. Denver. This is the greatest time in your franchise history. Don't worry about the the people who didn't pay attention to you in the past. Just have fun with a team that plays extremely beautiful basketball. Just enjoy the run that they're on and the joy that Nikola Jokic brings to so many lives, including my own. <laughs> you have been a fan of the Chunky Dime Slinger for as long as He's I've been podcasting. He's not even Chunky anymore. <laughs> He's just a Dime That's Slinger. That's how long I've been a fan. I have a name that's totally outdated for him. That's why it's so funny to me that you got caught up in all this nonsense because I do think there's like a section of the media or like basketball media who are journalists who happen to cover basketball. You like basketball more than anyone I've ever met. No, you're second. Nick Freeman likes basketball way more than you. He's been on that grind. That's why he's in the league. But like you love ball. That's all I do. That's, every, that's like a, all you do. And for you to be criticized for even like not giving a team enough credit, it's like, no, like that's just not at all like Jay's personality. Like if Jay was a Nuggets beat reporter, he would write constantly. I hate to be giving you respect right now because that's not generally the theme of our podcast, but like you would be write amazing stories about the Nuggets and because you love basketball that much that like, so it's just wild that you got caught up in this. I blame you for you're also being a I combative ste- I personality. Stepped, I stepped in it to, I'm not even a combative personality. <laughs> well, I shut just, the fuck up. <laughs> I just I don't mind being confrontational, especially online. Is how I would put it. Or in person, I would say. But mostly online. <laughs> and uh like it was funny to me. I had the, the best time. I was I was showing my wife the tweets, the things people were tweeting at me. And I thought it was funny, but yeah, like, <laughs> but you like basketball more than I like. literally, we had a whole Sacramento King segment on basketball buzz because I watched all their games last year when they were trash and loved their offense. So they made me talk about them every week this year and they were great, and it were, <laughs> and, but I was on the train before they were great because I love beautiful basketball, which is why Jokic is amazing. And he's fantastic. And everyone should care about Jokic. I agree with you there, Denver. He's oh. a beautiful, beautiful <laughs> basketball player. Do you have it out of your system? Yeah. Yeah. Right. That was fun. Let's was wrap fun. it up. Get back to the Celtics. They have somehow forced a game six. They're going back to Miami. Um, 
They seem to be having fun again. They're playing rocks, paper, scissors, shoot in the locker room. Multiple players are uh, smacking Grant Williams on the ass while he's giving an interview to Abby after the game. Good times all around. I was a little hesitant before this game. I was like, you know, I'm not really sure. I like uh, all the articles being like, if any team can come back from 3-0, it's going to be this Celtics team. People bringing up to 2004 ALCS a little much. I was scared of the the jinx, the reverse jinx. I don't think I've fully allowed myself to be in a, the hopeful zone yet, just because once you get now hope, you have. Now that I just said it, yes. But what is your feelings on like the the capabilities of this team to kind of force this game, uh, this this series, tie it up, force it to a game seven on Monday? Feels like they figured some things out about how to attack Miami's defense. I still think game six is going to be an absolute fight. There is no way Miami is going to make that easy. Jimmy Butler has already guaranteed victory. And but he's going to come out so aggressive. And I feel like he was like kind of passive tonight. Uh, but yeah, like. Games four and five felt like relatively easy victories for the Celtics. Well, not not even easy. They just played very well, but they did definitely didn't take the Heat's best punch. Uh, the definitely the role players didn't show up uh, for the Heat as big as they had, did earlier in the series. And so, um, and I don't just think the Celtics as much as like the pressure is on the Heat now, and the Heat definitely don't want to come back here for Game Seven. Like Game Six is going to be. I mean, obviously, they're all uh, huge games because it's elimination games, but it's going to be uh, incredibly intense. I just don't know, like, what to. I've given ever since the Hawks game, Game Five of the Hawks series, I've just given up all like expectations. I have just no idea which kind of version of the Boston Celtics are going to show up on a given night, and I feel like that's demonstrated itself in the Sixers series, and in games two and three where it's like, you think they're going to show up after just bad losses and they just didn't. And so I don't know. I think the Celtics are absolutely capable of going down and like um, beating the Miami heat. But I just, at this point, I have no idea what's going to happen. That should be a heck of a fight. (laughs) That should be a heck of a fight. I think that should be a great game to watch. Great basketball. The city of Denver should tune in. <laughs> if they like basketball, the city of Denver should tune in to see who might who they might play in the uh, the NBA Finals. This is the first time they've ever gone to the Finals, Denver. I don't know if you knew that. They got to the ABA Finals, though. Oh, yeah. That's another reason why they're historically relevant. Dad and Dikembe Mutombo once played for Did them. Did you believe he wrote a list? <laughs> and on the list, it said they'd made four conference finals? Like, are you trying to make my point? <laughs> He was, he was mean. He was yeah, mean. He was I, a, I, I got a kick out of it, but he was mean. I mean, it wasn't. It wasn't nice. Um, like I'm cool with arguing whatever you want to argue online, but that got mean. It got personal. Yeah. So you just that just happens. It's kind of your personality. People people don't like you. <laughs> <laughs> fair, fair. Thank you guys for tuning in. We'll be. Back with you after game six, after whatever happens there. Uh, thank you guys for tuning in, and we'll be back. I forgot. Didn't I have a new plan for how to end these things? I already, I already gave it up. I was just going to talk to you about criminal justice, but you didn't seem to like that. Idea. Anything is possible! <laughs>
There you go. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.